Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 318th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that is always down to get organized and put your specs in the Hall of Fame. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, a.k.a. at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host this week is Cliff Daigle, at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. Glad to be here. I'm looking forward to sharing some valuable information with all of you. This show, as always, is produced by MTGPrice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at MTGPrice.com to plan your specs, chat on a great Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Boy, do I have a case study to share on this point. Cool Stuff alerted us that they were throwing up some Japanese collector booster boxes for Neon Dynasty mm-hmm. on their website at $200 a piece. And then there was an additional discount. Uh, maybe, maybe it was... I have to double check the the specifics. It was it was somewhere close to two hundred once you accounted for the potential discounts, which was a steal. I mean, I think CK had them at two fifty or two sixty or something the same week, and our people were thrilled to be snapping off boxes at that price um, using their card kingdom credit from buy listing. So two hundred is kind of obscene given where those are likely headed. I suspect the Japanese boxes. Uh, for this set are headed for 500 plus given enough time and so everybody you know basically cleaned them out i think pro traders easily spent more than 10 grand in about 10 minutes over there (laughs) and i had my bounce shipment from one of my partners in the u.s um show up the other day and went ahead and sold some of my boxes for a tidy profit like 50 percent gains to a local and cracked a few myself First box was Foil, Phyrexian, um, Gingitaxis. Okay. With the non-foil version right behind it in the pack. Nice. Consider I, I continue to see collation issues in Collector Booster Packs, where if you see a fancy version of a card, there's a very decent chance you're going to see some other fancy version of that card very shortly. Um, this has been true for quite some time, I haven't been able to prove it mathematically, but I suspect that it's that's definitely true. And there was also a foil extended art Japanese version of the card later in the box. Then second box was mediocre, probably like barely covered cost. First box was about, I don't know, 315 or something over over 200. The third box had a foil Japanese borderless Kaito Shizuki which for those not paying attention to prices in Japan, is currently sold out at 80,000 yen, which is about $725 US or something, uh, based on current exchange rates on Harayuya. And then later in the box, there there was a non-foil Japanese showcase, the Emperor, the Wandering Emperor. And I figured that was going to be like 50 or 60 bucks. So 
Imagine my surprise when I go ahead and look that one up and see that it's going for several hundred dollars in its own right. I mean, I I just love watching the, uh, like, you, you first of all, if you haven't, uh, if our listeners haven't been aware, uh, James tends to run real hot on opening product, so none of this is a surprise to me if you've been following along in the Discord for a while. I mean, nobody nobody beats the odds in the long term in theory, but I definitely feel like I've had my fair share of wins. The you, you, the, the wins you highlight really make it feel unfair, but I, I always love like watching the uh, the piranha tank go to work on a hunk of fresh meat like this and just like watch the entire uh, what is it uh, inventory just go poof when they post the deal to the pro traders. And apparently two other pro traders pulled the Kaito. And you and I both know that they you're talking about a lot of collector booster boxes to find one of those. So to have so to have three of a three of us pull one in, in the course of the weekend, very lucky indeed. And you know, even on eBay and North American terms, that that card is four hundred or so. I I'd be aiming for a private sale in Japan, and I suspect that with that and fancy versions of the Wandering Emperor, I would hold for now. There's a pretty good chance that both of those cards end up in the same kind of territory as Amano Liliana. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're already... The fanciest versions of both, like the ones that come out of the set booster boxes, are already, like, definitely over 1,000. They might be over 2,000. I haven't double-checked the prices on the set booster the set booster versions this week. Let me just take a quick look here. Now, to to, clarif- to clarify, you're talking about the ones with the specific foiling differences that you get in the set booster, correct? They're subtler coming out of draft and set booster boxes if those boxes were produced in Japan. And for Japanese right. boxes, that's all of the boxes. Now, uh, and, and how to... If you're not familiar, uh, folks, with how to figure out which version you have, uh, pop into our Discord and we're happy to talk about it with you in terms of which one you have because it's important to figure out for how much your card is worth it's extra confusing in the last couple of releases because we've had pro traders come to me looking to buy list cards that they opened in set booster boxes in the u.s as the english set booster version which in which is currently sold out at 150,000 yen in tokyo um the Japanese version goes for over 2000 as a follow-up to my earlier point. Um, but the problem is that if your set or draft booster box was produced in the U.S., it will not be recognized as a draft-slash-set version in Japan. When they say draft-slash-set, they mean Japanese-produced draft-slash-set. Right. The, the, thing about, the thing is that the Japanese collector booster boxes are worth less the, the versions that come out of those are worth less because those are not Japanese produced. Japanese collector booster boxes are still produced in Texas. Or in the case of Europe, I guess they would be in in the rare cases where Japanese collector booster boxes are made available in Europe, which in theory was the case for Neon Dynasty. Some of them might be manufactured in Belgium. I was going to say it's, it was uh, Belgium's the only one, right? There, there isn't another... Uh print shop in europe that does this for them as far as we know it's cardamundi in belgium yeah okay um yeah i i think that the the subtleties between the different versions is a a hard thing for people who aren't plugged in to to get hip to but 
that's what we're here for. We're tr trying to highlight the things that can gain you value when you're not expecting it. Uh, I think it'll be harder for... Like, it's hard for me to, to grok the idea of these going for more than a Mono Liliana, considering the um, the provenance of uh, the, the Final Fantasy crossover appeal. And uh, I'd also say that um, while there are differences like the, the Series 1 and the Series 2 foiling on the Amanos, like I, I know we've talked about that on the cast before, but uh, even like any foil Amano is going to be highly sought after. And these, like, it has to be a specific uh, foil type to get into that cost range. And a certain level of rarity. Right. Uh, but if we're looking at Liliana Dreadhorde General... <clears throat> foil um series one foil a mono version on Harayuya right now. They are currently priced at eight hundred thousand yen. Do you know what that is in dollars off the top of your head? Seven thousand dollars or so. Okay. And the Wandering Emperor, which is in fact at double the price of Kaido Shizuki. So of the two, Wandering Emperor is the winner so far. Um, Kaito was sold out at 220,000 yen, so that's a, around 2,000 US. And the draft set foil Japanese version of the Wandering Emperor is sold out at 380,000 yen, so about 3,500 US. So I think these cards are headed to a mono territory. This is... They're, okay. they're, push, they're pushing in that direction. Um, I would imagine they're holds. Like, I, I could easily see, you know, if you've got... You know, even the, the Japanese foil showcase from a collector booster, which is currently sold out at 50,000 yen, so about 500 or so. That could easily be a 1500 or $2,000 card. Give it another year in, in some. So I'm not, I'm not in any rush to unload my Kaito. I plan on holding it for a year and then seeing what's up. Yeah, that's, uh, that's always a, a good plan with the, the hottest card you can have. I think on the non-foil version of the Wandering Emperor, I might be willing to buy list it currently. I think they're offering two hundred or two fifty or something on buy list for a non-foil version. That's pretty for crazy. Non-foil, holy biscuits! Yeah, like they they have the non-foil posted at sold out at forty two thousand yen, so something like three hundred and eighty dollars, and they have two weekly sales at that price. And then the buy list for it, last I checked on the weekend, I think it was something like 20,000 yen, but let me just double check. And this is with us being like, what, uh, less than a month away from the next set, and then we're going to lose uh, a lot of the uh, openings. You know, there might be some more working its way through production channels. Like, I, I'm never going to count the gaming company out in terms of finding some stuff and cracking it on a a really wide scale but man that is a lot for this point in the cycle yeah i mean the thing is that there's not a doesn't seem to be a lot of neon dynasty latent in the system the really big follow-on crackings from the gaming company and their ilk tend to come about because the distributors are stuck with pallets of things and they end up doing a a deal at a very attractive price for the gaming company who can then turn around and milk um the known EV of the cracking against that wholesale priced palette of product. 
in the case of Neon Dynasty, I don't think there's all that much collector, all, all that many collector boosters just sitting around waiting for that to happen. So I, I don't know that they're going to be able to, you know, say in late June, offer up a whole bunch of CB related Neon Dynasty stuff. That will definitely be something to watch. Um, yeah, so the buy list in Japan on the non-foil showcase, the Wandering Emperor in Japanese that I opened in the same box as the foil borderless Kaito Japanese is 23,000 yen. So that's about 200 US. Um, so that cost of the box cost of the box and still and so between the three boxes i added it all up and being optimistic about what i will eventually sell the kaito for like just saying that it's roughly an 800 dollar card um you know there are 450 to 500 dollar copies sitting around on ebay but there's not very many there's a small handful and they're probably underpriced like those are probably buys um and once they clean out it will push up into that just sub thousand dollar range i think so those three boxes I opened ended up being well over $1,200 worth of value, like somewhere between $1,200 and $1,600 worth of value. And, and of course, you got uh, the Finance 5 discount, right? Yeah. Well, I yeah, I have the max discount on Cool Stuff Inc. because I have the like level 9 or whatever. But on sealed product, it's I think it's capped at 5%. Uh, I don't think they ever allow for a discount higher than that. But even that made a nice, you know, gives you a nice chunk here takes twenty dollars off whatever the price was feels pretty good yeah i got it i think just short i think it was just below 200 a box which is just amazing and i mean yeah i've had wins cracking product and so have lots of other pro traders if you crack in volume you're going to have more wins also if you're cracking the right stuff like i didn't crack a ton of midnight hunt for instance in fact very right well nobody nobody did so but in the last year, if you look at what I've spent the most money on in sealed product and what I've cracked the most of, you're talking about Time Spiral Remastered, specifically Russian. I think it was 18 boxes of Russian I opened. And I easily covered those by flipping the foil Russian OBFs that I opened. Basically sold all of them and almost all of them in a package deal to one person because um, they're very hard to come by. So that was like a very strong start to that person's collection of those items which they would have had trouble getting from anybody that wasn't a vendor in, in Russia, to be frank. And tons of MH2. MH2 in English, Japanese, Russian, German, uh, both set and draft, and uh, not draft, set and collector booster boxes, other than the Russian, which is only available in set, I believe. Um, and then a ton of Neon Dynasty, specifically Japanese. So, I mean, it's about picking your battles and giving you, setting yourself up for the, the highest chance of success. I still haven't pulled a fancy-looking Hidetsugu. We were actually playing EDH with the Pro Traders um, on Saturday night when I was cracking packs. And uh, I opened some of the Duel Masters uh, promo packs for their 20th anniversary or whatever that have the foil Black Lotuses in them. The Lotus and the libraries and stuff, yeah. So I pulled a foil Lotus live and then later pulled the, the Kaito. So it was a pretty exciting pack cracking adventure during EDH. And those Duel Master cards, boy, they are fire. They don't bend. Yeah. They look amazing in person. For sure, I would have no problem tabling them in an EDH game in a deck. Like throw the Sylvan or the the uh, the Jace the Mind Sculptor, Brainstorm or Birds in and that's a level of proxy i'm fine with like it's an officially licensed wizards product they they provided they licensed it themselves they're clearly doing it to do an end run around 
some of the more problematic things like the reserve list. And, you know, I would, somebody wants to put that foil Lotus in their, their vintage cube power to them. It's going to look amazing. Man, a, a, a vintage cube is such an investment and it's something you like, um, I had this talk with uh, folks at all the GPs the year before COVID. You know, I had the big cube draft sign up and um, all kinds of people would come over and want a cube with me. And it, it's a, a question of like, well, what did you bring the cube? How do you how do you trust everybody? And then I say it's my uncommons cube, so I'm not stressed at all. And they're like, oh, my God, because I've got like this custom altered or all foil or crimped cards only cube. And you have to, like, you know, get people to sign off a percentage of their soul before they can even touch it, you know? So having the 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 sweet, official, lower cost, at least for now, I mean, that Lotus isn't going to stay where it is for long, um, is a really happy thing, and I wish they would do more of it. Like, give me some more cards with Wyvern backs, you know what I mean? Sure. The One of the things that I didn't realize is the black foot foil dragon um from kamigawa is foil borderless is big money in japan uh not jugen what's his name junji the midnight sky the midnight sky right because which is not the name of the one from the original series no that's kokusho the evening star correct so i who's got the dragon deck in here come on so the Japanese foil draft set, uh, Japanese foil borderless draft set version is at eighteen thousand yen. That's like one hundred and seven sixty-five dollars US on on Haruya. And even the collector booster version is uh, six six thousand yen sold out. So those are probably going to get reposted at like eighty dollars or something. I mean, we're we're going to get some more uh, mythic dragons in. Uh... Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate. So, like, you got your pick of sweet dragons. Yeah, I don't think it's because it's a dragon. I think it's because it's a Japanese-specific dragon. Oh, okay. Um, because Junji Foil Borderless is not is not that expensive in North America. This is very much a, like... The point I'm trying to make here is the Japanese Neo Collector Booster Boxes, whatever you can find them at, you're probably doing fine. Like, it's a bit of a lottery ticket to crack one, but sit on those for a little bit. That... If you're that a fire and forget kind of speculator, this is a good option. All right, what have we got on on the agenda this week? That was a long preamble. <laughs> We're going to start off by talking about the uh, weekend review online. We've got a modern challenge and a pioneer challenge to talk about. We're going to talk about the top movers in paper and online. You and I have some cards to watch and uh, some some spicy things in there. And then we're going to talk about the organized play announcement from, uh, what day was that? Friday? Last it was Friday. the 31st, last yep. Thursday. No, it was Thursday, because Friday uh, I didn't have uh, school to teach. Uh, I can't tell you how much I love not teaching on April Fool's Day. It is, <laughs> like I hate, I hate everything about April Fool's anyway, like the, the left-handed secret lair. That's real, right? Uh, as far as I know, let me just take a look at the secret lair website. The secret layer doesn't have it yet. It's going to go up like April 11th. I already checked there. Oh, okay. okay. Said, well, yeah, if they, if they gave us an April 11th date, then I suspect it's real. All right, because I really despise like having to parse out what is and isn't real in these things, and people want to be funny, and none of it's funny. April Fool's is just not funny, <laughs> and I'm going to 
I'm going to shake my fist at that particular cloud until I am officially dead. Yeah, my partner's not into the jokes or the scare, the like jump scares. So I've been deprived of that uh, aspect. Missing out on nothing. (laughs) It's like you're missing out on hanging out with the jackass guys. Like, oh, look, I'm not in danger of having an airbag suddenly explode in my face and send me flying. You're missing nothing, James. Nothing. Fair enough. So let's take a look at the modern challenge on April 2nd uh, this past weekend. First place, we had Yogmoth Combo. They were running two copies of the Seiju along with their uh, usual complement. Uh, Burn in second. Yogmoth Combo again in third, this time with one Viseju. Four color Omnath in fourth. One Viseju, one Ottawara. Living End, one Ottawara. Blue White Hammer with four Urza Saga. Still focusing on the lands, trying to suss out what's going on there, and then probably next week we'll get, get past that. Amulet Titan, two Viseju, and four Urza Saga. And then Mono Green Tron, uh, sort of, um, they run a Cascading Cataracts in this deck so that they can hard cast Chancellor of the Annex in the late game if they don't manage to get it in their opening hand. Although I would imagine they Tron is already the kind of deck that likes to aggressive mulligan aggressively so that they can get to a competent hand. And I would imagine that part of doing that in this iteration of the build is to get a Chancellor down early and really gum up the works for the low-slung decks that are trying to cast spells fast and furious to get in under a Karn or an Ugin or whatever. Also, um, the one Cascading Cataracts is probably what you're fetching with the three of Golos, so that you then you can just, like, you know, go kaboom and, you know, get yourself a free Ugin or a free Karn liberated in your top three cards. Uh, I love this. Like, you're going to get... Uh, you cast off of Golos, right? Yeah. You play them without paying, so that's so you know your Eldrazi get that much better. You know you get your Ulamog for free, or you get your Kozilek trigger for free. Just oh yeah, I love all everything about this. Yep, looking good. So we'll also look at one of the Pioneer challenges because one of the big parts of the Pioneer of the organized play announcement that we'll talk about later is that Pioneer is going to be a big part of it. And so it's worth you know paying a little bit more attention to uh, Pioneer. I'm still very dubious that. Uh, big tournaments are going to be making sense in six months, given where things are at right now. Um, like I don't think they make sense now, and I suspect that there's going to be outbreaks at said tournaments, and that's going to be problematic and may get them shut back down. But time will tell. I hope I'm wrong. For now, uh, Pioneer Challenge, April 3rd, kicking things off with blue-white Yorion Control. So this is very classic blue-white control elements. You've got three Narset, Par- Narset Parter of Veils, four five-mana Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, four the Wandering Emperor, uh, a card that I only run one copy of in my Esper Angel Control deck in Historic, but I've been very happy with it a lot of the time. Two Farewell, three Supreme Verdict, three Absorb, three Dovin's Veto, three Fateful Absence, three Jawari Disruption, four March of Otherworldly Light, three Memory Deluge, Three Portable Hole, Four Omen of the Sea, Four Shark Typhoon, and 34 Lands, including uh, an Ottawara and a Naiganjo, Seed of the Empire. Uh, both includes, I also agree with, because I run one of each myself. And yeah, this was like a pretty classic blue take on blue-white control. Uh, it's interesting that you've got Yorion um, in the mix here. It can reset your Planeswalkers, reset your Omen of the Sea, it can reset your Portable Holes. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't do as much work here as it does in some of the four color builds. 
It's just a free card and an excuse for a control player to play all the stuff they like. That's all it is. Sure. Uh, moving along, we've got blue-red control. This one is more interesting, and I've seen shades of this deck that I've played against in Historic as well on Arena. Uh, it's built around Niv-Mizzet Perun. So not the five-color Niv-Mizzet that you might be thinking of. This is the one that costs triple blue, triple red for a 5-5. Five five. Dragon Wizard. The spell can't be countered. It has flying. Whenever you draw a card, Niv-Mizzet Perun deals one damage to any target. And whenever a player casts an instant or sorcery spell, you draw a card. This is very annoying because it always trades up on your kill spell. And yes. you can't counter it out of the control decks. Nope. So you've got to wait till it's on board. You can't fatal push it because it's six casting costs. You could, if you're going to march it, you're either using two cards to do it or three cards to do it, or you're casting, or you're using seven mana to do it, none of which is particularly efficient. Yeah, you tapping can't... out against a blue-red control deck, that's what people want to do. I've spent all my mana on this. Oh, Jizwari Disruption, tiki. You can Supreme Verdict it, because this version of the deck runs zero counterspells in the main, though after sideboarding, once they know your control, they're going to put in their Mystical Disputes um, and Negates. But yeah, this is, they run... Th- Two Jace Friends Prodigy, two of the new Niv-Mizzet Perun, four Thing in the Ice, and then they also have the Days Undoing uh, action that you also see in Legacy to do with, to combo with Narset, where they do a one-sided Wheel of Fortune, (laughs) which is pretty nasty for Pioneer. Just concede, man. Just let's just move on. Oh, that stings so bad. They've also got the Hall, Hall of the Storm Giants, which I think is... Now, basically, yeah, it's basically taken over for Celestial Colonnade in any format where that's relevant. Um, Because instead of a 4-4 flyer, you have a 7-7 with Ward 3. And I have won many games in the last couple weeks on the back of Hall of the Storm Giants. You just, you bleed them out of resources, they're empty-handed or they're in top deck mode, and you start swinging with the Hall and they have to either be sandbagging the correct removal spell or they just keep hitting, getting hit for 7 until they're dead. Do you remember the standard format where the win condition was the uh, the land that says uh, blue, black, some one, tap, mill target player for three? Were you playing standard at that point? That was uh, back in original Innistrad-ish? No, I think I'm out of I'm out of constructed play at that point. I come back in right. like a halfway through the next year or something. There is nothing a control deck likes more than being able to say, like, I've got seven cards in my hand. They're all reactive. So I can't actually do anything to win the game. But this land, which I played on turn one, now that I have 13 lands in play, I can tap six of them, dome you for seven, because you can't ever have a permanent in play. You need one of these bad boys, and I love everything about this. Third place list was Mono Blue Spirits. All the A lot of the spirits you would see in a blue-white spirits list in Modern. They also get to run uh, Geist Light Snare which is out of Crimson Vow. It's two and a blue, but it's built, it costs one less to cast if you control a spirit and one less to cast if you control an enchantment. And they happen to run four Curious Obsession. So if they go Spirit Obsession on the next turn, they've got a counterspell, uh, basically a mana leak for one mana. And out of the board, they can add in four Lofty Denial, which gives them mana leak for four uh, on the back of two mana if they have a flyer. So their counterspell suite in this build is arguably the best possible counter spells in the format 
Um, and I know because last night I was looking <laughs> at all the counter spells in Historic to figure out what I could be running, and I came across both these and realized they don't make any sense in my deck, but boy, do they work here. I mean, it's amazing. Like, th this is all. Most expensive card is Icon of Ancestry, which will just reload your hand when you get a chance, and the, uh, the Brazen Borrower when you have to cast it after bouncing something. So... When your deck is all three uh, ones and twos, this is this is where you want to be. You know, we we saw Curious Obsession win a Pro Tour for the crying out loud. Four copies of Ascendant Spirit here at a Cal time is worth noting, and they also have between sideboard and main they have four copies of Faceless Haven, um, card that was banned in Standard, I think. Um, yes. Five color Niv Mizzet, the other Niv Mizzet. In fourth place, uh, must have been cute when the blue red Niv Mizzet played off against the five color Niv Mizzet. They're running; it's a very they're ba basically as close to being five color Niv in modern as they can be, given what cards they have available to them. The only thing that jumped out at me as being notably different is the Celestis, uh, legendary artifact out of Midnight Hunt, and they have a ton of. Uh, different dual lands in here, but very few pathways because of their. They need to have access to two kinds of mana on most, on most of their <laughs> lands at all times. So four bring delight, three of the Niv. Uh, Naya midrange fable was in fifth place. This is basically Winota Joiner of Forcer forces and Essica's Chariot and Fable of the Mirror Breaker and a bunch of value creatures. And Fable of the Mirror Breaker looking better and better. Um, as a cross-format staple, and you know, talked about it during our set review as a card to, card to keep an eye on, and that proved to be wise because it is in, indeed popping up in Pioneer and Standard and Modern and EDH, and looks like one of the the best rares from the set. I mean, uh, there's a lot to to enjoy in this deck. I really like um, a four of Archon of Amiri in the sideboard. For a lot of decks, like if you can get that into play, it is ridiculous. You know, one spell per turn and non-basics for your opponents enter tapped. Either one of those would be good, but getting them both is pretty high on the busted list. Uh, Winona in this deck, like we've seen Winona combos before. Uh, this one is trying for Blade Historian and Kenrith as your uh, one-ofs for big humans to hit, but there's nothing you want more than Tovalar's Huntmaster, right? It's just gonna you're just gonna drop the six six into play. Uh, a great thing to copy with Fable of the Mirror Breaker. You're gonna end up with four tokens Ugh. from that. Just yeah. it's all amazing. And keep in mind the interaction between the Mirror Breaker token and Essica's Chariot, because whatever you copied with Fable with the Mirror Breaker, Essica's Chariot can make a copy of that, and that copy won't go away. And that's definitely one of the things that makes Fable of the Mirror Breaker jump out at me is that it's got that concept that I've harped on for a decade. Open-ended synergy, where it's got all this stuff that you start discovering it interacts with positively, and then as time goes on, it's just going to get new tools to, to to play with. Yeah, it's all amazing. I love Mo it. Moving along here, we've got Jeskai Ascendancy Combo, which is a had been a hallmark of Pioneer right up front, and uh, as the format kind of got stilted by COVID... This never really got off the ground, but I am hopeful one day that my bad specs box full of foil Jeskai Ascendancies will eventually do something. Um, one of the lessons on that kind of a spec, though, is one-trick ponies that are only in one specific deck in one specific format, especially if that format's not EDH uh, or second-best-choice modern, 
not necessarily the best place to put your money. Um, not that they were very, not that they were very expensive at the time, or that I'm very deep, but point stands. I can't wait to see a Pro Tour final between a Jeskai Ascendancy combo deck and a Lotus Field combo deck. Right, Lotus Field combo finished eighth year, and then Blue Red Arclight Phoenix was in seventh. Uh, probably the biggest uh, takeaway from the Blue Red Phoenix deck is the pieces of the puzzle. Uh, talk about this card going up in a second here on top paper movers. And the reason is that it's super sweet in this deck. What does a Phoenix deck want to do? They want to cast a bunch of spells. And they want to do that so that they can pull Phoenixes out of the yard. But they also want to get the Phoenixes into the yard and not draw them because they don't necessarily want to cast them. So Pieces of the Puzzle says, for two and a blue as a sorcery, reveal the top five cards of your library. Put up to two instant and or sorcery cards from among them into your hand and the rest in your graveyard. So potentially you could draw, say, two Phoenixes and two spells you want, like a Galvanic Iteration and a Fiery Impulse. And you're going to put those in your hand, put the Phoenixes in the yard, then present your combo, quote-unquote, of casting multiple spells per turn, and the Phoenixes pop out and attack for six or whatever. So very, very cute synergy in this specific list. The the other synergy that's really worth mentioning is the Galvatic Iteration getting you extra turns with uh, Temporal Trespass. We're not... uh... I don't think Alrun's Epiphany has been banned in Pioneer yet, correct? I'd have to check on that. Let me just see. Well, because um, this is the first sighting I can recall of the Delve take an extra turn spell, but they don't have anything else with Delve in this list because Delve isn't really a uh, a mechanic that's been pushed too hard in the Pioneer legal sets. So here we are with uh, you can mill Galvanic Iteration into your yard, pay three mana, and then you're going to delve, you know, eight other cards away, take two extra turns, and that also happens to be two of the spells you need to bring back some phoenixes. Yeah, Alruns is not banned in Pioneer. Hmm. That might be next for this list, but honestly, like, it's so cheap. Like, this Jace and the, well, Phoenix costing four mana is, you know, not where you want to be, but I do love uh, having a Jace where you're like, I target myself to mill two and then I draw. Of course, yeah, it's not meant to uh, break the game on uh, I'm milling myself to death, but gosh, this looks like a fun list to play. Yeah, the reason this is Trespass and not Elrond's is because it could potentially cost three. Right, that's what I'm saying, is that because yeah. we, uh, nobody's wanted to, to play this card over other Delve cards, and here we are. Well, I mean, this is a format where Treasure Cruise is still legal, right? <laughs> the I think we saw, yeah, Dig Through Time and Treasure Cruise are still legal in this format and apparently not busted enough to get banned yet. Uh, yeah, yeah, because the second place, the second place, <laughs> the second place deck had three Treasure Crews, and the idea being that because there's no fetch lands, these cards are are not as dangerous. But I suspect, <laughs> given enough time those cards still have targets on their back um all right moving right along to top paper movers of the week we'll kick off with ottawara soaring city a card i've talked a lot about lately uh just regular copies have gone from 850 to 10 and they're up from i think we probably saw them between four and six on opening weekend if i'm not mistaken um multi-format play on that one i suspect it's still got too big of a gap between the price on this and the price on the which which last i checked was in the mid 20s um so 
Ottawara is, I think, a future $20 card on its own. The Meat Hook Massacre at a Midnight Hunt going from 60 to 72 That's a $70 plus Mythic from the fall set. Very impressive. Um, largely on the back of EDH uh, demand. Teferi, Hero of Dominaria, 5 mana Teferi out of the Secret Lair. Uh, gone from 33 to 40 uh, on the back of these Pioneer announcements. Argothian Enchantress from Urza Saga we talked about last week getting up close to 100, and this week it pushed even further up to about 110, 115. 20% additional gains on the back of Goshintai. And then we've got those aforementioned Chancellors of the Annex out of New Phyrexia. Uh, foils went from 22 to $34 on the back of that Tron list running four copies. I... It's so good to slow down whatever obscene thing you're going to do in these uh, in the Tron decks. I, I love it. Um, what's next on the list? Next is Chandra, Dressed to Kill, out of Crimson Vow. The regular copies have gone from 10 to about 16 uh, for 3 mana. This Chandra is doing a lot of work in Pioneer, and she's also seeing a smattering of modern play too, right? Yeah, she showed up in some modern lists. She played, gets played in Standard... Um... They printed a lot of very good Chandras, and they're always just on the cusp of being busted. They're always strong, and they, they tend to put it in appearances here and there, but they never become super staples, as some people might hope. Um, Fable of the Mirror Breaker, going from 3 to $5, and I, this is a future $20 card as well, as far as I'm concerned. Um, Pioneer Foils went from 3 to 6 Those are probably still too cheap. Those are pack foils to note. Pack foils, yeah. The, the foil showcase versions, I think, were pushing 20, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Hengegate Pathways out of Keldheim went from 8 to 14. That's a very healthy number if you bought in uh, cheap on these. Pioneer and EDH play is driving that. The blue-white control list that won the Pioneer tournament this weekend obviously runs multiple copies. Uh, and foil borderless versions from the secret layer doubled from 10 to 20. So the, the pathway borderless foils and borderless cards and even just the regular versions of, of these lands are looking very good. And I suspect people are supposed to be thinking about the Innistrad lands from this fall in much the same way, um, since they are they are likewise going to see heavy cross-format play. Yeah, they haven't really gotten cheap yet, but um, you know they're, they're going to be very good for a very long time, especially in Commander. Yeah, and that's the thing, is that these, both, neither of these cycles are super important in modern. They're kind of smatterings of play here and there. But that format has shocks and and fetches, um, and fetches to anchor the, the land bases of the format. These are the next generation of duels, and a lot of people probably underestimated them. Uh, out of Time Spiral Remastered, one of uh, Travis's um, nitpicks of last year was <laughs> the OBFs not moving fast or hard enough or falling probably after he, he had purchased some. The Dovin's Veto OBFs, however, out of Time Spiral Remastered have gone from, foils specifically, have gone from 50 to 90 this week, probably on the back of this Pioneer uh, announcement. It's also just a multi-format, super counterspell. Uh, control decks have to have to run copies so that they can counter key combo pieces in opposing decks and also maybe sideboard in some copies to fight each other. Uh, so fanciest version of the card available and not particularly surprised to see it moving here. Cliff, you also had uh, mentioned this in your Friday article for MDG Price where you said you thought these were going to push 100. I That's exactly what I said. I said there's so few OBFs under 50 but I can totally see those few copies getting snapped up and the card hitting 100. Verbally. Carrying, 
carrying on with the cards that moved on the back of this organized play announcement and its relationship with Pioneer. Uh, Arclight Phoenix out of Guilds of Ravnica going from seven to thirteen dollars. This is a roller coaster card that has, if you look at its price graph, has gone up and down and up and down as its its fortunes have uh, ebbed and and flowed. Mazes end out of uh, Dragon's Maze. Dragon's Maze. Uh, sorry, Alexis. Uh, foils going from ten <laughs> to twenty-two dollars. Um, are uh, one of our pro trader moderators is one of the designers of that set, so I should probably not forget it. Um, but it's not that often that it, that cards from this set uh, show up as specs. And the funny thing is, it didn't make the list, but we could have talked about um, Voice of Resurgence. I think seeing 20 or 30% gains this week um, down near the bottom of this list, also on the back of being included in that Naya Winota list uh, for Pioneer purposes. Then we have the Mana Confluence Buy a Box promos from last summer that I originally called uh, almost a year ago. I think it was May of 2021 to go from 20 to 45 plus within the year. And instead, as of today, they are sitting at $76. So we're talking about roughly a quad up. well I mean, it's, it's a quad to go 20 to 40 to 80 minus fees and shipping and so forth um so even after fees and shipping you're probably looking at a triple um minimum because these are going to keep going uh seemed like an easy spec at the time and indeed i hope uh, lots of our listeners pick some up because it looks like it worked out pretty well uh pieces of the puzzle uh, that deck out of the blue red the sorry that card out of the blue red arc light deck foils from shadows over innistrad went 18 to 45 this week i don't know how many you're going to unload at 45 uh, i can't remember if it's common or an uncommon it's a common yeah so <laughs> not going to find a lot of buyers for foil commons at 45 plus for specific pioneer purposes so i would unload those at whatever price you can if you happen to be holding uh, probably most notable that you just might have some lying around from cracking uh, that set, but that predates collector booster boxes, right? There's no CBs Correct. from Shadow, Shadow Over that So that's why those foils are rarer than they would be if that had landed in the CB, in the collector, the booster fun era. Uh, and then top winner of the week is Bronze Guardian Extended Art out of Commander 2021. Specifically, we're talking about the extended art version out of the Strixhaven Collector Booster Boxes, going from $250 to $10, uh, on the back of it being 9,100 EDH rec decks, and just tremendous uh, fit in Artifact Matters decks that happen to include white. I mean, so for those of you that, that aren't up to date on your Commander-only cards, this is four and a white for a star five double strike creature it's got ward two gives all of your other artifacts ward two as well and its power is equal to the number of artifacts you control so this seems like an incredibly easy card to bust right in half and you know adding a a tax on all the stuff that you got to do is you know never irrelevant ward two is is right there with you know, you can't kill it with your cheap thing. You've got to make sure that you devote your entire turn to killing it. Nobody at a commander table wants to be like, well, I guess I'm going to be the one who kills it. And it's just it's just phenomenal. This is a great card. I definitely slotted one into Brea, and there's a bunch of different artifact matters commanders that are going to find a home for this. It also works in the blue-white uh, vehicle decks that have been popular lately. 
So there's a, a variety of influences that dri are driving the price change here. That said, I think that this price is spec driven. Like I think a lot of the cards from Commander 21, the extended art cards from Commander 2021 have been targeted lately where people see an opportunity to pick off the ones that are seeing the most play. Um, so I think there's like, there is strong latent demand, but I also think that this big price jump was not the market drawing these up. It was speculators buying, jumping, jumping off the cliff on big chunks of this card. Ha ha ha. All right. So we've also got top magic online movers of the week. Uh, we get to talk about voice of resurgence here. Uh, Dragon's Maze online card for magic online went from two ticks to about four ticks, hundred percent plus gains on the back of the pioneer announcements. Blightstep Pathway, same deal. I mean, basically everything here is, here is a Pioneer Shift. Uh, four tickets to almost 10 tickets for Blightstep Pathway, 132%. Bone Crusher Giant from Eldrain, going from just about nine ticks to 20 ticks. Woo! If you drafted a lot of Eldrain and you have Bone Crusher Giant sitting around, you're getting paid this week, folks. You're supposed to dig those out and sell them off. Uh, that is very, very nice gains for a, a fall set rare. Winota Joiner of Forces, which has been up across the board in basically every version, digital and paper, going from four ticks to 13 ticks here, 230% gains on the back of that Naya Pioneer deck. And then Tovalar's Huntmaster, same kind of thing, out of Midnight Hunt, two tickets to eight tickets, 300% gains. Uh, who knows if Winota is a centerpiece in the format or not. Uh, either way, I'm definitely taking my profits and running with these kind of price jumps. I mean, I'd, I'd keep a playset in case I ever wanted to build the deck, but yes, uh, that is what you should be doing with this. You said a minute ago about open-ended strategies. Like, every every human that gets printed in red or white or even, like, some third color, depending on how brave you want to be, you know, you're going to get some crazy stuff going on with Winota. So uh, every every good, expensive human they print, you, you're going to think, like, is this a Winona deck? It just might be. Alrighty, so now is likely a good time to remind you all about the Cool Stuff Inc. Customer Rewards Program. The more you buy with our 5% off coupon, Finance 5, that's the number 5, the closer you get to even higher rewards, including up to 15% off Magic Singles and Assorted Minis and 5% off Sealed Product. Head on over to CoolStuffInc.com today to build your loyalty and save big. And moving right along, we've got Cards to Watch. I've got a bit of, a, bit of an oddball one here to kick things off. Looking okay. at, been doing a lot of buy listing this week. And one of the things that I like to look for in a buy list play is a ample amount of inventory for a card that sees enough uh, demand through play in a relevant format or formats and that doesn't look like it's a spec yet like maybe it doesn't it still has a reasonable amount of inventory maybe the price is not very impressive maybe nobody's really talking about the card but if one of the things i like to check is whether say the ck buy list and their ilk at cool stuff and elsewhere are offering a price pretty close to what tcg near mint low is and this is one of those cases where i suspect this is a grab a chunk sit on them for a year, maybe maybe more, and the CK buy list is going to inch up over time. I'm talking about binding the old gods out of Cal time. Foil rare, currently available about a dollar. Buy list is currently about a dollar. And so I'm looking at this as a year to a year and a half hold to double my money 
on whatever, 10, 20, 50 copies, maybe 100, depends on how deep you want to go in something like this, on the basis that the, the there's only one fancy version of this card. Even though Kaldheim is a collector booster box set, some of the cards in there did not have alternate treatments. If you look at something like Neon Dynasty, where every rare, it felt like, had multiple treatments available, that was not the case in Kaldheim. These... Well, uh, just to clarify a point, this is an uncommon. That's why there's no fancy version here. Ah, sorry. Yeah. But Binding the Old Gods, sure? Yes. Okay. I'll bet you a dollar. Uh, so the foils do come out of collector booster boxes from Kaldheim then? Correct. And... Uh, I think there were two per collector booster, or is it five? I think it's mm. two, at, at in the, maybe three in the time of... Hold on, I'll look. You there's, keep going. Th- there's plenty that came out of that particular source, but they're not that easy to pull out of boxes. And Kaldheim cracking is basically at an end. You c- there are currently o- almost 400 copies of this posted at 96 cents on TCG Player, but there are only 59 listings. And nobody else has a major wall like that. It's basically exclusive to the gaming company. And this is not a big deal card. This is not a super flashy spec, but it's already in 11,000 decks on EDH Rec. And it kills a thing as soon as it hits the board, then it goes and gets a dual land, and then every so often it matters that it gives your creatures death touch. And it's especially valuable in decks that can use this and then flicker it or pick it up and cast it again or let it go to the graveyard and then cast it again. Um, in in something like the you know Toad Rider deck, this is the kind of card you're going to include um, because it triggers, uh, it provides the necessary trigger and then does a bunch of other stuff. So it's like a value engine potentially. Uh, in something like Maldrotha, you can pull this out of your yard and use it for stuff and then let it go away naturally or sacrifice it and use it again the next turn. It's just a handy card. Kind of a middle-of-the-road utility card for EDH. Doesn't really see me play anywhere else. But something tells me that stack of 400, I don't think I want the whole stack because you're probably in a situation where Card Kingdom's only ever going to buy, you know, 10 to 50 copies from you at a time. So that's probably how many I'd be willing to own. I, I just think this one's going to be a double up. And I look for these kinds of things as stuff to stash away in the, you know, long haul uh, spec binder and then pull them out when I'm throwing in a buy list and beef up the buy list and get really strong returns as, th- you know, throw-ins to something else that I am happen to be sending in. All right. Uh, in the Call Time Collector Boosters, there were indeed two foil uncommons. So uh, your your numbers there are uh, pretty good odds. Like there's more foil, there's more rares than there were uncommons in these particular boosters. So um, I like this. I think this is a, a really solid pickup. And uh, like you said, this is going to be, a, you buy a, a stack of them, you just wait and you will send them to a buy list for twice what you paid in cash you're going to save a bunch on fees and shipping and if you want to go for store credit you'll top another 25 or 30 percent on there this is a, a a very straightforward going to be profitable thing you're going to put in you know 50 dollars here and it's going to pay you with a hundred dollars in a year good job i like this a lot Th- that's my hope there, there are two counterpoints one they print a lot of good removal spells these days and 
this could easily get lost in the shuffle and take a really long time to mature. Currently, I, I think that it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. Um, but, you know, there's so much product that comes out and so many cards. Um, the other thing is that if you don't think that this is going to be a buy list play, then just stay away from this. Because buying this at one to sell it at three on the open market or whatever is not what you want to be doing. Now, if you're a TCG direct level four SIP seller or something, and you've got access to ship these off to uh, TCG where TCG's warehouse, and they're going to flip them for you at four to five dollars via direct, that's a whole different story. Yeah, that's that's outsourcing the the time it takes to pack individual cards at three dollars or four dollars each. Yeah, whatever you do, you don't want to be shipping these one at a time, plain white envelope. That's not the play here. Um, now, one of the things, other things I'll say, though, is this is a very unlikely reprint. It, it references a very specific plane. One, we are, we were, it's only about a year since we were there. Uh, I don't think they're going to double back to this plane anytime soon. We might never go back to Keldheim. And I don't think this card is popular enough that they're going to see it as a priority uh, card to print in a secret layer. But that's about the only place I could see it showing up, and it's one of thousands of cards that they could select for that program. So I, I have a feeling that this the foils of Binding the Old Gods will be the only ones for a while. I'm, I'm with you. And I, I got to add that, like, I have just come, you know, I've, I'm full on um, cognitive dissonance on secret layers. If it happens, it happens. You know, I'm not going to pick or not pick cards based on their possibility for inclusion in a secret layer, uh, with the exception maybe of the second Praetor cycle. You know, we might get that again. But um, something like that, I would I'd be more likely to believe on a secret layer. But all the others, no, don't don't stress it. If it happens, it happens, and it won't make a huge difference in most of the prices anyway. Good pick. Oh, I like this next one. Okay, I'm glad. Uh, I think you want to be buying uh, the sealed copies of Teferi's Time Trouble, the the secret layer drop from Jan. It was shipped in January, so it was. Purchased last September. It was $30 for three non-foils. You couldn't get it in foil. They only did non-foils. The singles right now add up to around $60. Um, you got... It's 20-something for Teferi and 20-something for Karn the Great Creator. And then Dak is, you know, leading up the, the rear at, you know, around 10 or 15. Um, Teferi, I don't need to tell you how great Teferi is. Uh, is all over the place in Pioneer and Modern and 17,000 Commander decks. It should be higher. Uh, Karn the Great Creator, similar things. Does really busted stuff. Like, these are the sweetest possible versions of these cards. Unless you want to argue with me about Stained Glass, I'd listen. Um, but you can get the sealed one for 45 which is kind of mind-blowing, considering that somebody had to pay 30 for it and they're going to eat a certain amount in shipping. Like, this is really close to, did you not buy the ones you wanted? Okay, well, go get these, because uh, the the singles themselves will cover what your cost is. And uh, I've still got 10 sealed sitting in the spot where I've got all of my sealed secret layers, and I'm just being patient on this, because those two Planeswalkers alone make this uh, a great thing. Uh... I picked forty-five to go to about seventy-five dollars sealed. The the ramp isn't quite there yet. People are still selling their copies for much too cheap on TCG, but it will get there. And I feel uh, 
pretty strong about that. This is one of the ones I told pro traders to buy via a special note in the Discord, and then I'm pretty sure I forgot to buy it. So I can't find I, a rec- I can't find a receipt in my inbox. So I suspect this is a secret layer I just forgot about. Probably well, trying. If you want, I I will give you some copies at a very reasonable price. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm happy to buy them at the price you have listed here. I think and just be late uh, because my money has has gotten an extra six months or whatever to be reinvested in the interim. So I'm at at my annual rate of return. It's actually totally fine to pick these up at forty five instead of at thirty. Um, the the reason I like this pick so much is there aren't that many copies available at 45, and it's really kind of just on TCG Player. Once you get through the, the next 20 copies of this sealed, it's going to be $55 plus, and then the next 20 is going to take you to 65 or 70 and then eventually this is down the road a $100 plus box. And the thing is, you can never source these secret layer sealed products overseas for any cheaper because they're more expensive to buy everywhere else and in a lot of cases there's shipping involved or customs duties etc and so to buy these from japan and try to import them back here just makes zero sense like your your best source option outside of the original purchase is always going to be the people that are in a hurry to unload on tcg player and i think that we are perfectly timed here with the 25 listings left and the only wall being you know the 43 dollars copies plus six dollars shipping on 15 of them and then another 30 copies at 54. These are going to drain out. And it's three important planeswalkers. Karn the Great Creator sees plenty of play, especially in modern. Teferi Time Raveler is banned in Pioneer, but sees tons of play in modern EDH. Uh, really? And Dak- banned? I, for- I forgot that. Yeah, banned in, in Pioneer. Uh, the On Historic, I get to play him, but at four mana. Um, and he gets an additional loyalty, which is totally fine as a trade-off, actually. <laughs> um, because I also run sh- something, something. can't remember the name of the card. I think it's at a Cal time. Wow. I don't know. I'll tell you what the card does. It's a sorcery for three and two black that exiles all three casting cost or less planeswalkers and creatures. So it's, right. actually, quite, it's actually quite convenient in Esper Angels and Historic that Teferi costs four because I can run that spell and get rid of all the elves and goblins and nonsense um, and not hit my own planeswalker. So, uh, bottom line, these are this is a great secret layer with great planeswalkers. And what, what are the foil versions looking like? There are none. Oh, they right. They only it was did non- this in uh, non-foil. It was non-foil only because they didn't want to mess with the stained glass. Right, right, right. So, yeah, these, these looks very good to me. Um, my next one is also a little bit of an outsider pick. I'm not going to get too heavy into the pioneer stuff because I think pioneer specific specs, you know, my, my perspective on this to the pro traders has been that if you're targeting pioneer specs, you generally just want to be targeting stuff that is cross format, like something like a Narset Parter of Veils gets better given how prevalent the card is in pioneer, given that it's also sees significant play in modern and EDH and cube and whatever. So those are your best options for Pioneer. But this one in particular is already drained out, and the cheapest options on these are behind you. There's foil showcase versions of Portable Hole from last summer that were LGS distributed, and there are very few left lying around in the $8 to $12 range, and I suspect those are going to end up being $20 plus on the back of this wave of Pioneer hype over the next six months. Um 
It only sees a smattering of play anywhere else. You do see it show up in Blue-White Hammer Time, I believe, and some of the Oswald Fiddlebender decks in Modern. Um, it does do a decent job in Modern, but it's also competing with March of Otherworldly Light and Prismatic Ending and Path to Exile. So it's it's not like doesn't have huge Modern shops. Um, but there's just hardly any of these promos left. Like the, the best time to buy these is definitely behind us. It was like a month ago when you could get them for five bucks probably. And now it's just kind of a thing of these are the best looking version of this card for sure. And if you can snap them off at your local LGS or mop up some copies on eBay or TCG player in and around that $10 range, you're probably good for a double up. And I think this is the kind of spec where if you intend to play them in your Pioneer deck, you're going to get mileage out of this pickup because you could swap them out for non-foil versions down the road or a different version that gets printed later um, if you so choose. But if you get to play with them and then sell them at, you know, once the price has peaked, then you're in great shape. I mean, I love picking up something that is uh, cheaper than it should be, especially when you've got a sweet promo version running around. Um I think that people are going to try real hard with Pioneer and, you know, spoiler alert, my next two picks are Pioneer based. Um, I think this is super solid. Uh, I'm with you on uh, your sourcing and your ideas and Portable Hole is just a, a good card considering how low slung most of the format is. So this seems, uh, this seems solid. There's not a lot and you can, you know, in a a few months you'll be able to get a lot more than you're currently paying for it which is the name of the game well it's a good test of whether pioneer can drive the prices on premium versions of cards because a lot of the pioneer cards that have quote-unquote spiked this week that's speculation spiking a lot of them can easily retrace we'll have to see whether the the the, the latent support for this format and for the organized play announcement as it was uh described will in fact manifest a bunch of speculators picking up trying to pick up low-hanging fruit does not a format make right we need to actually see the play patterns to support these new price plateaus um so it's entirely possible that you could see you know the reservoirs of this card at six euros over in europe dry up over the next couple of weeks but it's not immediately clear that you have a buyer so there, there is some risk here okay well, uh, keep all of those concerns in mind as I tell you my next pick of a Pioneer staple. Uh, the most popular spell in Pioneer is Mystical Dispute. Uh, 40-some-odd percent of decks play it. The top eight we went over had 19 copies between main deck and sideboards. There's almost no near-mint foils left in the U.S., so if you uh, hit up uh, Europe, you can find them for around $6 American. And considering the... Uh, the number that have sold in the 10 to 15 range uh, on TCG in the last week, uh, I think this is a very easy play to get them cheap from overseas, get them over to you here in the U.S., and resell them at a delightful margin. Uh, I'm, I'm also willing to talk, if you want to discuss the non-foils of Mystical Dispute, there's one incredibly huge gaming company wall on TCG, and uh, for the most popular spell in a format, like how deep are you willing to go? Because they got four digits worth to play with. What's Card Kingdom offering on it? Let's take a look. How bit? What's the price on the the TGC wall? A uh, dollar something. Let me look it up real quick. 
because Card Kingdom offers $1.15 cash, $1.50 credit. So you're covered at present, and they will take Wait. hundreds. Let's see. Right now, uh, gaming company is offering a it has uh, thirteen fifty four copies at a dollar forty seven. The only concern I have with this one is that they knew they were going to include Pioneer in this OP announcement. They've probably known that for some time, and they may may well have thought ahead and included Mystical Dispute somewhere. This is exactly the kind of card that can show up in a secret layer to provide access to copies for this purpose. Um, it could also just show up in anywhere. Like they can just print this where they want to in standard. I don't think they would reprint it in standard. The standard format with dispute was kind of miserable. But it it really depends on how strong the blue decks are in the format, right? Because this is a completely reasonable spell when it's just three mana mana leak. Right, which is why you saw it in a lot of the sideboards of the uh, the top eight card, the top eight decks. It was not necessarily a main deck card. But a lot of decks are running. I took a look at uh, what they were running, um, and there were in sideboards uh, three copies, two copies, four copies, two copies, none, uh, one, three, and three. So there, there's a lot of this card. Like people have it as a uh, way to deal with uh, the combo potential in Pioneer, and I, I, that's my guess anyway. My the other thing is it's just good. Like, you can't play... Um, it's played in Modern, too. It's a multi-format stable. Yeah. What's the... Uh, do you remember off the top of your head one blue mana counter-target blue spell? Like, from Torment or something? Mm. I don't remember what it's called. Not off the top of my head. Mm. Um, but the bottom line on Discord Dispute is, if it dodges a reprint, this is, I think, a surefire winner. Um, because it's not leaning just on Pioneer. Uh, it right. even sees, like, a decent amount of play in EDH. Like, not a lot, but it's actually a completely reasonable card to table in EDH. Um, so, yeah, I, I like these. Uh, if you can get these anywhere near six, uh, to ride them to 20 seems very likely to me. Uh, I'm going to follow up a foil version of one of my picks from last year with the non-foil version. I'm looking at Borderless Non-Foil Endurance out of Modern Horizons 2 Collector Booster Packs. Uh the I guess you can get borderless you can get borderless of this in wait, can you get these in set booster boxes? Refresh my memory. No. I'm pretty sure the borderless even in non foil wait. Just, maybe. Think, I'm pretty uh, sure not, I but I want to double check, yeah. I think it's just the planeswalkers that you can get in borderless in set booster boxes. Regardless, it's, it doesn't really matter what the source is so much as the fact that the where this card is at is is a good place to be. Like if we look at how Endurance is doing, um, total number of copies left listed on TCG Player in terms of listings, you're talking about, if we're just looking at the non-foil versions in Near Mint, we're down to 31 listings. You can get copies in the 40 to $45 range pretty easily, but then the ramp... Uh, kicks up in a hurry and you're not going to have an easy time replenishing this inventory because this is a true super staple where it sees tons of play in uh, modern tons of play in edh Uh, the borderless version looks good it's uh, clearly better art than the default art and 
they're not going to reprint this for a while because it just came out less than a year ago. So this probably gets a couple years to mature, and I would bet that by the time that process is over, these are going to be something like $70 to $80 versions of the card. 6700 EDH Rec, strong modern play, looks like a winner to me. Uh, you can get these in set boosters. Uh, you can get in one of the slots a rare or mythic rare, including possibly a showcase, sketch, retro, mythic, or a borderless mythic. So you yeah. can hit but borderless mythic. But the drop, the drop rate is, is very low. Yeah, they don't give us enough information for me to calculate a drop rate, and that's both good and bad because I already have to figure it out for commander for collector boosters, and I don't feel like doing that for set boosters. It's a lot of boxes of set boosters in that, even in that case, to pull one of these. Um, I mean, yeah, this is this is a super solid pick. I mean, we we know what the foil version does. This is the next step down. People don't want to spend the ridiculous amount for the foil borderless, so they'll go with a non-foil. There are plenty of tournament players who uh, they don't want to have foils for curling issues. They want to keep everything non-foil. So uh, this is this is. Uh, a very reasonable pick, and uh, one of something I might like have to go see how many are available right now on TCG. All right, what's your final selection this week? Uh, this week, uh, I'm one more pioneer pick. Uh, speaking of showcase cards in non foil, um, I like this version of Bone Crusher Giant. Uh, now, this is the most popular creature in pioneer, it doesn't get a lot of uh, cross-format play. It's handy in modern, but you sometimes see it in burn deck, sometimes not. Mm, uh, more, more often you see it in rhinos. Right, you'll also see it uh, because it gets around the uh, cascade requirement. So you can have a two-mana spell that's a shock that isn't going to trigger your cascade. Correct. It isn't, gonna, it isn't a hit off your cascade. Um, I've picked the non-foil showcases to go from about two to six. Um, there's a lot, you've got your choices here of like the foil, pack foils, you've got showcase foils. Uh, I liked this ramp the best, but you could talk me into just about any of them, uh, to have a, a real movement on the price if Pioneer in paper is going to take off. This, Bone Crusher's everywhere. So that's why I'm picking this particular version. Of note, Card Kingdom offers $1.15, $1.50 credit for the showcase version. So pretty hefty chunk of your in is covered. They don't want any foil versions right now. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that you know reinforces that their belief that Pioneer may be primarily about non-foils, at least for now. Um, yeah, I think I think this is very straight, straightforward for you to call for this. Like you said, two to six here. I suspect this is more of a buy list play. So I think if you were to say even something modest like two to three fifty or something, and and note it as a buy list play, then you're probably more likely to get to your winning circle. All right, I'm I'm for that too. Uh, if it's retailing for six, the buy list is going to be around three fifty. So you know, tomato tomato. Okay, yeah, I think those are solid. What's your favorite pick on this board, James? I think Endurance and then Teferi's Time Trouble. Because the Binding the Old Gods is a bit of a oddball. Like, the numbers add up, but it's just not a card on people's lips. And the Pioneer specs, I think, have yet to prove themselves out. Especially given that people 
people went pretty heavy on Pioneer when Pioneer was originally announced and, you know, COVID got in the way. And I think that is still a potential threat. Whereas with Endurance, between uh, with EDH backing it up to a significant degree, and with the Teferi's time trouble, where it's largely a collector's item, uh, I think they are less exposed to COVID problems. I'm not going to argue that, but if I had the uh, the right speedy hookup for the Mystical Dispute copies, there's money to be made there in the arbitrage. I think you're right. Okay, let's move on over to this organized play announcement. We had uh, Huey Jensen, who is now apparently in charge of organized play at Wizards of the Coast, and I'm sure has spent a good amount of time negotiating what would happen next. You know, obviously it is in Wizards' best interest to have some version of organized play out there supporting the more competitive-oriented Magic players, even if EDH slash casual is the most important segment of the market, there still is a competitive segment of the market that is worth addressing given the scope and size of the game overall. Um, And yeah, we've just lived through two years of a pandemic. Arguably, we're still living through a pandemic, but (laughs) given that the world is attempting to reopen, uh, there are plenty of companies like Wizards of the Coast trying to get their events back on uh, event calendars so that they can regain access to their brand driving programs. Now, just a quick recap. I don't want to get too into the weeds on this, but we used to have a really great organized play program where we had GPs all over the world. And if you won a GP or finished very highly, depending on what time period you're talking about, you qualified for the Pro Tour. You could then get an invite to the Pro Tour, I think there was flights involved for a good portion of it, and you could fly to the Pro Tour and live, live you know, play the game, see the world, was, was, was the time. I was wondering if you remembered the slogan, good job. Yeah, and then for a period of time, Wizards pivoted trying to, trying to be an eSport, and they stream, quote-unquote, streamlined, but actually made much more a much more convoluted version of their organized play program that involved some paper tournaments, uh, some digital tournaments played primarily through arena, which had a whole host of problems uh, that had to, that were dealt with. There was a whole scandal at one point where wizards got called out uh, by wired magazine for, uh, or one of the writers for wired. Uh, She's, well, she's freelance. Anyway, bottom line, there was an article talking about how esports companies basically paid for views that didn't exist, and it also applied to Magic Arena Pro Tour events. Um, so there was a pretty good indicator that the view patterns for these events were not particularly great. And eventually, Wizards kind of figures out that YouTube channels and Twitch streams are a much more effective way of driving the brand in the digital space. Uh, alongside arena than trying to televise digital events and or covid gets in the way i mean it's probably some of half of one and and half of the other so they kind of tear down the whole organized play system and a lot of the pros get the boot they get rid of the hall of fame benefits as well it's still been limping around there's been a version of organized play but they kind of announced it was going to peter out and there was just a hanging cliff question mark over the last year about what was going to come next. But somewhere in there, they hire Huey Jensen to take over the organized play program and they have presented a new game plan. 
And the way it works is there are going to be regional championship qualifiers, then a regional championship, and you qualify for the Pro Tour or the World Championship, depending on how you finish in those regional championships. Um, I think it's something like top eight qualifies for the Pro Tour and first place goes straight to World, something like that. Uh, and then you, on the Pro Tour, of which there are, I believe, three for the year, um, you do your Pro Tour thing. I believe, yeah, there's three. In person and in paper. And then there is going to be a World Championship. So arguably four Pro Tour stops, like three, three Pro Tours and then Worlds. Um, they announced that the first Pro Tour, first regional championship qualifiers will begin in July, and they can run standard, pioneer, modern, or limited, depending on the tournament organizer. The first round of regional championships will be pioneer, and the first Pro Tour will feature pioneer and limited, of presumably Brothers War, I would guess. Uh, let's see. Did they give us a, a date for this first Pro Tour? I don't think they have, but I'm guessing it's in the fall. Okay. That's a reasonable guess. Like, I think they've probably left themselves an out here to push back a tournament COVID pending. The first regional championship qualifiers will begin July 2nd. So, that 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 one is set and announced. And they doesn't look like they've given us a date past that. In the announcement, I don't see the exact number of players that will be on the Pro Tour, but they'll be competing for $500,000 in prizes. Uh, and then at the World Championship, 128 players will compete for their share of a million dollars. Keep in mind, Worlds was like a 16-player or 24-player event for a while. So right. bumping it up to a 128-player event makes it harder to win. Um and I mean, it's a world championship. It shouldn't really be easy to win, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, bottom line, it's it's different now. Um, but there is a million-dollar prize pool. So these, these are, to my eye, a reasonable approach, especially given COVID, to re-exploring competitive play. Uh, one thing to note uh, in the FAQ, they said the first Pro Tour will take place in early 2023. Ah, okay. So basically, the rest of 2022 is just qualifications. And making sure that, you know, COVID isn't going to wreck everything. Yeah. Um, okay. Here, the the thing that I'm, I'm coming back to is um, two things. One, I love watching Paper Magic be played so much more than I can handle Arena or Magic Online. And... I don't necessarily have a good explanation for why. Like, Magic Online is an ugly program. Ma Arena is a very pretty program. I don't really like either. And I don't know if that's because I don't have a, a good way to... Like, like think of a, a Star City stream, right? Back when they did that. They're not, they're not going to do that again, apparently. You got... Cedric Phillips, Patrick Sullivan, you know, casting these things, you know, giving excellent real-time analysis of, of what's going on. And you can't necessarily see all the cards. You know, you got glare of all fucking things. And you can't see what's in everybody's hand. You've got, like, the casters trying to figure out, like, does that look like a lightning bolt? It might be one of the alternate art lightning bolts. Oh, they're playing the expedition lands, so I can't tell which of the lands are in play. Like, this is 
a difficult, difficult thing. But I'm so much more into that than I am either of the digital options available to us. And I, I don't know if I'm in the minority on that. Um, I agree that watching a, a YouTube stream, a YouTube or a, a Twitch stream of a single person is much better uh, experience than trying to watch like uh, both sides of a match. And I'm wondering like, are they going to put effort into showing us the actual gameplay in person? What do you, do you think there is worth doing that? Like I, showing... I just, oh yeah, I think there's going to be coverage. The okay. The apparently it's 300 people per pro tour. By the way, I tracked that down. Um, the I think a lot of people agree with you that they prefer to watch in person coverage. But I think that you know one of Tra- Travis's chestnuts from many conversations over the years has been that Magic just doesn't present well on True. camera, um, especially to uh, new viewers. It's utterly complex, dense. It's one of, and this is true of many video games. Like if you play a video game, then you have a much higher chance of being interested in and being able to enjoy a Twitch stream. I watch a lot of um, Apex Legends on Twitch and on YouTube because I play a lot of Apex Legends. I don't, I haven't watched any of Elden Ring on Twitch since it came out because a i don't want to spoil it before i play it and b i don't think i would enjoy it much until i had played it you appreciate the nuances and the subtle um uh displays of skill by pros approaching a game when you've played it yourself otherwise it's all just kind of a just kind of blurs and i think that whether we're talking about over the shoulder in person play or arena play there are pros and cons to both they are both never going to be a major esport, And I think part of what's being signaled here is that Wizards realizes that. Like, they're going to still make... They they still recognize... They still want to make Arena a part of this. Even though the first Pro Tour is designated as Pioneer Limited in paper, they do reference that they're going to rotate in Modern, Standard, and then via Arena, Historic, and Alchemy. So some part of the Organized Play Pro Tour level program will include Arena at some point, very likely. I can't believe they're they're going to push al- alchemy as a regional championship format. That's stupid. no 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 that the, at the pro tour level I suppose. Oh no yeah you're right they said oh yeah you're right they said regional championships could include historic and alchemy on arena. So uh, ostensibly I could be competing for arena like Canadian or alchemy champion or something at some point. Yeah that's. I think they've got some things to, they've got ideas there, but probably don't have a concrete plan about how they're going to tackle that. One of the things I think we should comment on is why is the first one pioneer and not say standard or modern? I think there's a couple of, of points to discuss there. One is that pioneer is still fresh. It was announced almost two years ago, but the, no one ever really got to play it. So it's a new-ish format to explore. And it's a format that's in a pretty good state right now. Standard has had a lot of problems over the last few years uh, in terms of getting stale or featuring overpowered cards that have to get banned. And so maybe they are shying away from that a bit, wondering whether the support for Standard at the LGS level isn't necessarily there like it used to be. Now, from the other side of things, why is it Pioneer and not Modern? Well, this comes back to a point that Travis and I have made many times about why things were modern and not legacy. 
about how legacy and vintage and any format that is of a sufficient age that there that a good portion of your player base does not necessarily have access to the older cards becomes a drag on your ability to attract players and then there's also the angle of newer fresher formats force players to buy more cards like there are a lot more players with modern collections than there are players with pioneer collections and so making designating a round of tournaments internationally at the local and regional level to be pioneer focused potentially they don't have to be um but since you're going to be heading into a pro tour where you've got to play pioneer it's a pretty good idea to run them as pioneer locally if you can support it um forces people to buy cardboard and that is ultimately the goal so i've always thought that modern would be eventually sunsetted in favor of something like pioneer assuming that they believe the support is there to that they wouldn't lose much in in moving modern into the legacy slot and moving pioneer into the modern slot i expect that that's a natural process that plays out over three to five years or so in assuming covid doesn't interfere well, the main thing they can do with modern is they can, you know, they've they've shown us that they're willing to not only make products specifically for it, but they they will give reprints to stuff eventually. They can do that. So modern will be the new legacy. And you know, we we're the thing uh, about Pioneer that you you said at the beginning is that Pioneer had like three amazing months and then everything shut down. Right, the Pioneer announcement was like November of 2019, and uh, everything was just like, "Oh, new Pioneer comp, new Pioneer, new Pi." Every every uh, cards that moved was like hot in Pioneer, and a million things got expensive that you know weren't before, and then the pandemic hit, and people weren't playing Pioneer on Magic Online anymore, and. I think this is a, a chance to like restart some of that interest. And well, not not anymore. It's never been there. They're still right. They, they, they've they've teased this year that they're working towards Pioneer on Arena, but the the lack of sync between Arena and the announcement of that format really threw people for a loop. And if you had told me at the time of the announcement that two years later they still wouldn't have it on Arena, still wouldn't. It's crazy. And then, be told, focusing... and, and, and then told me that when they reboot organized play during the hopeful, in, in sarcastic quotes, post-pandemic era, um, that they would focus on Pioneer, but still not have it on Arena, I would have been like, okay, well, I mean, I believe you because Wizards is capable of fucking up on a regular basis, but it's very strange. It, it just seems really strange that they'd go for this alchemy format when they base they have like a known thing in pioneer and they especially if you're going to tie um regional championships and even the pro tour to pioneer if you're going to make this a, if you're going to put all of the the weight of wizards behind this set like we haven't gotten pioneer masters yet you know we haven't gotten pioneer horizons yet but those see like if you're going to put the the force of the entire company and the 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 belief in this format then you're gonna have to do that and the fact that um you get you know crappy pioneer in terms of historic which is different from alchemy right 
Yeah. I I haven't played his... There's there's no way that more than two of these three formats under discussion deserve to exist. Yeah. Like I can I can buy that you you put together a an online only thing and you you want to play around with the mana cost because Hearthstone makes it look so cool, right? Yeah. They can edit things on the fly. That that's not really what magic's about, man. We're about like finding the weird ass combo with stuff that didn't work. Like uh secrets of the trade secrets of the trade we just did piece of the puzzle. I'm sorry. Um you know this this was a cra- this was a crappy common and now in foil it's 40 some odd dollars. See, that's I would, what magic's I, about. I I would argue I've heard lots of people disparaging the digital only cards. Having played against them for a like hundred plus matches this month, it's totally fine. Like honestly, I don't think that's any. It's not even. It doesn't even remotely come off in the format as being anything other than magic. In fact, you hardly ever see those cards. Like down at the lower tiers, like bronze tier on arena, you see a bunch of. You see more of them, but at the highest tiers, not a lot of those cards are top tier cards. Um, yeah, they all do like random stuff. Like I've got a couple of them in my historic Iara deck. And uh, they're neat, you know, but they're not game breaking. It's just that the the dedication of resources seems out of whack, I, and that's I the thing that bugs me the most. I believe the ideal is that they hurry the fuck up and get Pioneer on Arena, and they focus on Pioneer and then Pioneer Plus, call it whatever you want, that includes the digital cards, and that's fine. And we get new digital cards every once in a while, and you can fool around with them. And for especially casual oriented players and deck builder types. There's some fun to be had there. You can take it or leave it. You don't have to play the, with those cards on Arena. Um, the, but they do need to bridge that gap. It's, a, it's an awkward gap to have. It is a clear signal of them not pushing enough resources in fast enough into Arena for fear that the profitability isn't there if they do so, like that the return is not going to be immediate enough. Um and it doesn't. It doesn't really doesn't look like uh, Alta Fox is going to win their proxy fight with Hasbro, by the way. <laughs> so, uh, you know, their initial overtures have been rejected. So I don't have high hopes for John Finkel saving the day here either. The <laughs> bottom line: it's good that there's organized play. I'm not surprised that they would put the focal point on Pioneer. It would be less awkward if they already had that available on Arena so could people could test there instead of on Magic Online because pushing people to test for a Pro Tour format right. on your old digital platform is very strange. Um, and from an outsider's perspective, like the gaming industry commenting on these OP announcements, hard to not label that as very awkward um, and just kind of unbelievable when compared to other games that are more digitally centered. Um and yet this is, you know, a glimmer of hope. You know, I, I, I still have grave reservations about large-scale magic events. I'm glad there isn't a GP schedule attached to this. A lot of people were disappointed that GPs are not a part of this process. Not but even mentioned. Yeah, I don't think that they're safe. Um, there are going to be big events organized anyway by third parties, probably in, you know, to, in some capacity in coordination with Wizards. Uh, you'll probably see some CFB or SEG or other the NRG format uh, sure. organizers. Yeah, you're going to see events. Um, I don't think anybody should be going to these right now, but uh, hopefully at some point it'll it'll be a thing, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Uh, for now, I'm I'm mostly on the sidelines with Pioneer specs. I haven't really bought anything this week that's Pioneer oriented. Um, there's so much else 
to eat so, so many low-hanging fruit in terms of cards that cross over strongly between between modern and EDH. As per the earlier point on cast, stick to a Pioneer card that also sees play in those formats, at least one of those two formats, and you'll be in decent shape. Um, if you go after stuff like Portable Holes, um, then you're putting your eggs in the Pioneer basket. And in, in that space, I just want to be dabbling, not making it a, a, a centerpiece of my portfolio. Well, um, the other thing that I wanted to mention about this was really that um, we've had multiple people point out in the Discord, especially like, if you're not sure where to put your money right now, just like wait. Just take that, that money and wait a little bit longer because we're going to get some incredible stuff coming. You know, you got new secret layers to, to spend money on. Double Masters 2 is going to offer probably some really great chances to uh, spend that spec money and get some fantastic returns. You know, don't feel like you have to get in on any of this. Like, no, if you can control is... your, your fear of missing out, you're going to do very well in this. As we said, the, most of the Pioneer action right now is speculatory, just like it was the last time. And I'm happy to sit on the sidelines and wait to see... I mean, you can still greater fool people. Like, I'm sure people there are pro traders that bought Pioneer specs right as the announcement was made or even in advance of it and then and then have flipped over the, the subsequent days and done totally fine um you know nothing <laughs> nothing wrong with a quick flip on some of this stuff from five to ten dollars or ten to twenty or whatever if you can get in and out in a hurry um but I, I i don't tend to focus on those shorter cycles and so i'm happy to let them you know reap the rewards there while i focus on the long game i i should admit to the fact that i have like 30 showcase fay of wishes uh from early days of pioneer i didn't get them for, they're like a buck a piece but uh you know i was like oh this is the only sideboard the only wish you can have in pioneer and now you literally have wish and they're in the to be unpacked you know when i'm 70 bucks so <laughs> see like I, I was spent most of my afternoon after work today unpacking spec packages from japan that were purchased between september and november of 2021 so i was showing off foil extended art japanese meat hook massacres that i bought at 22 dollars a piece or something that are You're a sick human being you know the low the low tcg near mint low is 130 or something right now on near mint copies in english let alone japanese i mean I'm much more about figuring out what is underrated and going to be a pretty big deal in EDH than worrying too much about Pioneer, at least so far. Let's uh, let's see what the community response at the LGS level is like and you know how that echoes back through vendors reporting sales trends, and we can go from there. That sounds good. I like that plan. All right. Where can people find you online, Cliff? Uh, you can find me online at Word of Commander on Twitter. Uh, I've gotten a whole bunch of new follows in the last couple of weeks. I think people have finally figured out it's me and not Travis on here anymore. Uh, also, I have an article that goes up every Friday on mtgprice.com. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic, as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com and my constant haunting of the ProTrader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com ProTrader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. And there is a $7.99 option as well if you don't want 
access to our fantastic group buys, but you still get access to our early access to the podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Don't forget to use the promo code FINANCE5, that's finance with the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Thanks for having me on, James. It's always good to be here. Thanks for being with me, Cliff, and we'll see you all next week on another episode of MDG Fast Islands. Mm-hmm.